Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of Enlightenment Today. I'm Jason. Today we're going to speak about chakras. Now chakra is a Sanskrit term which means wheel or turning of energy. And in the yogic context, it means a vortex or whirlpool of energy. <clears throat> now we need to think about energy in its right form here and chakras in their right context. Now a chakra is really a psychoenergetic center located within the body, or as Joseph Campbell once said, psychological centers. Now in the new age, a lot of people have fancy ideas of energies and chakras, and they often like to express what chakra they're on. Like for example, someone might say, look out, I'm opening my heart chakra, and so forth and so on, where they think that actually coming into harmony with the chakra is actually feeling it within the body. Now this is the wrong perception of chakras. Chakra is related to the psychological aspect of ourselves, something that we feel psychologically, though we might have a sensation within the body for sure, but a lot of new age people actually just identify with the sensation. And when you, when you make statements, grand statements of I'm opening up my heart chakra, in all likelihood you're not really at the heart chakra because the heart chakra has a lot to do with humility and not making grand statements about oneself. So it, chakras and understanding its philosophy is much more complex than a lot of these new age notions. Now, a lot of this is superimposed also onto the Kundalini where there is a lot of new age nonsense in relation to the Kundalini and we need to understand the Kundalini to understand the chakras. A lot of people in new age will make grand statements that, oh, that my Kundalini is gonna explode out of my head and all of these sort of grand statements, which is all nonsense. Um, when we understand what the kundalini is. So to understand the kundalini, the kundalini is basically a dormant energy at the base of our spine and it is viewed as a feminine aspect of ourselves. In Raja Yoga, uh, the kundalini is visualized sort of as an energy of spirit which is, which is coiled up like a serpent, okay? So kundalini actually means um, the coiled up one. That's what kundalini means. And it's coiled up in the bones of our coccyx, our tailbone. This is where the kundalini is coiled up. And this is where the, the dormant energy of the kundalini is. And this relates to the chakras, as I'll point out. So from this context, when we see the kundalini as a serpent, the kundalini is like a, a cobra, which, which raises its head out of, the, out of a basket. We've seen all this where a cobra raises its head. Now this symbol, this analogy, is basically referring to the awakened consciousness. So when the kundalini has awoken, that just means your consciousness has turned on. You've become more awake and aware. So you've awoken from your spiritual slumber. And according to a lot of Indian philosophies, most of humanity are in a spiritual slumber. We haven't awoken our kundalini we haven't come out of that spiritual slumber and our consciousness has not awakened. So the goal of the Kundalini then is to bring the Kundalini up the central pathway of the spine. Now this central pathway, this axial pathway is known as the Shushumna pathway or the Shushumna Nadi. Nadis mean channels or meridians within the body. Now the goal then is to bring the Kundalini from the root down in the tailbone to the crown, which I'll explain in terms of chakras in a minute. And what this does is when you bring the Kundalini 
up the shushumna, up to the crown, is where we experience the liberation of the absolute, where we experience oneness with Brahman or reunify with Brahman, that liberation in the absolute. So to understand Kundalini in relation to chakras, we need to understand the vital force flowing through our body as well. We can't just, I can't just speak about Kundalini in brief without mentioning the vital force within our body because they are, all three are related. Now the vital force in our body in Sanskrit is prana, which a lot of you may be familiar with, and also chi in Chinese, which a lot are familiar with. Now, when we talk about this bioenergetic vital force that we have flowing through our body, it's, it's comparable, if not exactly the same, to electricity. A lot of people believe it's exactly the same as electricity and it functions in that way. So prana, um, we could say, is found within our neural network, our nervous system, and our meridians of, of the body. And our neural network, our nervous system, and our meridians are the carriers of this electricity, the carriers of this prana. So to understand that even better, to, to stick with the electricity metaphor, vital force in humans is, is similar to a, a light bulb in electricity meaning that electricity illuminates the light bulb the same way that the vital force illuminates the mind and psychological functions. The movement of energy within us condenses in our brain and emanates as our activity of mind and basic psychology. So everything we experience through our nervous system, through our meridians, becomes our, the vital force is condensing within our mind and becoming our basic psychology, our psychological state. And this is why we need to understand energy in its original context, especially in relation to the chakra philosophy and also Indian philosophy when we talk about you know, prana and, and of that nature, especially in yoga. So the original understanding from this context of energy in relation to human beings is in relation to the intelligence we all have in our bodies, our psychologies, our body movements, and even in our organ functions. So this, this interpretation is what chakras are about. This is what the energy within our chakras is all about. It's not about pretending that you're on, you're feeling your heart chakra opening up when you might just be naturally having a sensation within the heart, especially if it's not a, an authentic heartfelt psychological state. So you need to ask yourself then, what psychological center do you reside in? Now, you don't want to think of residing in one psychological center or chakra above another or less than another. We, we, we shouldn't think in levels or layers here when we think about chakras because we can, we can alternate between chakras and we do that quite often and we'll get into that. So let's find out about the seven main psychological centers the seven main chakras and see where you are at this present moment. So the first chakra is the Muladhara chakra, which is translated as the root base. So this is the root chakra and this is located in the perineum. And this is where actually the Kundalini is coiled up in its lair at the coccyx, at the tailbone. It's kind of coiled up in its lair and you, you need to think about the serpent more in a sense of a dragon here and a western dragon okay because when we think about western dragons dra western dragons they live in caves they have gold 
they have a gold of hoard in the cave and they and they also usually have a beautiful girl who the dragon has captured this is kind of a characteristic of western dragons but the thing is that they the dragon they can't do anything but hold on they can't do anything but hold on so this chakra the muladhara chakra is kind of based on gripping and holding on to power and also holding on to a life that really is no life because it has no vitality and no joy in it so from this psychological perspective from this chakra life is just basic grim dogged existence you know we we can't let go we, we are holding on there's no joy and we suffer a lot as a result but once the kundalini awakens and you awaken your consciousness it moves out of this grim dogged existence of the Muladhara chakra into the second chakra and the second chakra is the Swadhisthana chakra the sacral chakra which is translated as her, her favorite resort now this this Swadhisthana chakra is located at the level of the genitalia so there's you know no beating around the bush but a chakra that is located around the genitalia is obviously going to be centered around pleasure karma in sanskrit k-a-m-a now when we reside on this chakra our psych our psychology is completely freudian meaning that sex is the primary aim of life and also the great frustration of life this is from that perspective from that second chakra but once we move out of the pleasure chakra up into the third chakra we reach the manipura chakra the third chakra which is located in the solar plexus or at the navel or stomach region now manipura it can be translated as the city of the shining jewel now the basic psychology of this chakra is consuming everything being the master of everything and also eating everything you know we have to remember that this is the chakra of the of the belly so this is about excess about greed about all the things that probably aren't virtuous in life but are often are characteristics of world leaders politicians polit political leaders presidents prime ministers this is kind of where they reside in this chakra they have everything and don't care about the consequences so this psychology we could say of this chakra is completely Nietzschean or Alderian meaning at this chakra we want to consume and gain power for oneself this is the Artha principle in Sanskrit now the Artha principle is the drive to succeed at any cost basically so the will to succeed without considering what you are going to do to the world and so forth and so on now when we look at the second and third chakra we could say that most people in the world operate from the second and third chakra from the from the swadhisthana chakra and then manipura chakra most people operate from here because these are the pleasure and power principles of the psychological centers of the chakras and when we're in these that's the primary motive you know this is why sigmund freud he believes for example that sex is the primary urge in life and this is what happens when you are in the second chakra but in the third chakra if we look at the psychology of that jacob adler would say the will to power is the primary urge in life and indians actually agree with this they, they believe karma and artha 
are actually primary urges, but ones that we can overcome. And that's essentially becomes a part of the chakra philosophy. So when we reside in the second and third chakra, we are constantly outward, outwardly directed. And, and often, in most cases, our satisfaction depends on relation to something outside of ourselves. So we naturally don't have joy coming from within ourselves. Our joy depends on external circumstances. So when we live from the lower three chakras, our, our perception and psychology is all turned outward and everything depends on outside circumstances. And this is where a lot of suffering comes from because we're not cultivating harmonious dispositions within the self. This is until you get to the fourth chakra. Now the fourth chakra is the Anahata chakra or known as the heart chakra. Like I mentioned before, a lot of new ages believe they're opening their heart chakra, it's exploding. Now the heart chakra actually means not hit in Sanskrit. Now that's kind of an interesting terminology or translation for this, but Anahata actually refers to, and not hit, refers to sound but not two things striking together, which seems odd for us, you know, in the way we view sound. You have to think about it in the sense of Zen. So this is very reminiscent of a, of a famous Zen koan. What is, this, what is the sound of one hand clapping? You know, this is a Zen koan. Now, in regards to the Zen koan and also to the chakra philosophy, the sound of one hand clapping is Brahman which sounds odd, but that is the sound of Om. Brahman, you need to mean, you, you have to remember, is symbolized through the Om symbol. And Brahman itself is the sound of Om. And so this is what the sound of one hand clapping is and what is meant in the heart chakra of not hit. So the sound of Brahman, Om, is the energy of which the world is a precipitation. We need to remember that. But are we talking about sound here? What we're talking about is we, get, we gain a sense of Om in all things. This is what we're looking at. When, when we're at the heart chakra, we, we gain a sense of Om with all things. But we're not really talking about a sound you hear. We're actually talking about a deep silence we feel within the world, that we feel we're a part of as well. Now you need to remember in Indian philosophy, Om is thought of as a four-syllable word, which is kind of strange, especially when we take it in as A-U-M. They kind of speak about it as a four-syllable word, which means before the mantra Om and after the mantra Om, there is a deep silence, which actually is part of the word and very important. And a lot of people don't know that. So you gain a sense of this deep silence from this chakra, this sense of Om or the sense of Brahman within all things. So when you're at this heart chakra and you understand that the world is a, is a precipitation of Brahman, then you begin to turn inward. You begin to turn inward. You've gone from the outward emphasis of the lower three and you've begun to turn inward and you cease to pursue your, your will and your drive. You, you begin to, I wouldn't say suppress that, but you begin to become more conscious of 
how your will and your drive can often make you suffer and, and lead you down blind alleys. So some of the characteristics of the heart chakra as a result when you begin to work on yourself is humility, surrender to something greater than yourself. In this sense, it would be surrender to the absolute or God and trust and also compassion and forgiveness. These are some of the characteristics of the heart chakra. Now, though it's a great thing to be reside in the heart chakra, there are higher chakras. And so the fifth chakra, when we, when we get out of the fourth chakra, is the Vishuddha chakra. Now, the Vishuddha chakra is located in the throat or the larynx. And this is the known as the purgatorial or cleansing one, the cleansing chakra. Kind of like pur purgatory, you could say. So this is where, in this chakra, this is where we eliminate the interposition between oneself and the divine. We begin to eliminate that differentiation between those two. So what you are doing at this level of the chakra, chakra at this fifth chakra, is you are purging your karma and your vasanas. So you're purging your actions and indrawn conscious actions and also purging your habitual patterns. You're beginning to alleviate those and get rid of those. So at this fifth chakra, at the Vishuddha, um, this is related a lot to ascetic disciplines or monkish disciplines or even monasticism. Um, so this is where we basically are turning the drive of the third chakra, the politician's chakra, the world leader chakra, to work on one's inner self and transforming our outward tendencies. So that drive that people have in the third chakra is turned inward and we begin to transform ourselves, basically. So you, what, what, as a result, you begin to purge yourself of earthly limitations so we can experience the ultimate reality. That's the emphasis on this fifth chakra. And this is why a lot of ascetics, they are dedicated to the work on this chakra because they, they believe that if they purge all of their vasanas and all of their earthly limitations, they will begin to ascend into the absolute. So above the fifth, we get to the sixth chakra, Ajna chakra. Now Ajna chakra is located here in the third eye, the third eye chakra it's translated as, and a lot of people are probably familiar with this. Now at the third eye chakra, this is where we perceive the ultimate vision of the Lord in the world. Now think of Lord in this sense as Ishvara in Sanskrit. Don't think of the Lord as some sort of creator here, um, like a Christian creator God. To explain that, if we look at the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna reveals the form of the Lord in the world to Arjuna, which was actually quite overwhelming for Arjuna because it was so massive and so grand and it was quite overwhelming. Now this is the, the ultimate vision of the Lord in the world. This is the form of the, the, the representation, you could say, of the formless, of that which we can't conceive of. Now the problem at this chakra is that there's still a sense of a subject and a Lord that is different. So the Jiva, the soul, and the Lord in the universe uh, are separate. And so there's still a sense of a subject and an object. This is 
part of the problem in the sixth chakra. There's still relationship. So there's a relationship between I and thee. There's a relationship between soul and beloved. And so there is still a cellophane wall between you and the divine. And the problem here is that perfect love, unconditional love, unassociated love requires no wall. So there needs to be a way of dissolving this problem between Jiva and Ishvara, this difference. Now, we, we need to remember that Jiva in this sense is just a representation of Brahman. And Jiva in this sense is just a representation of Atman, if you understand that. So your soul is only a representation of your true deep inner self, which is actually connected to Brahman, even beyond Ishvara, as they would say in Buddhism. So when you get out of this idea of soul and Lord, you get into the, the seventh chakra, the, the Sahasrara chakra, or the crown chakra, translated as the thousand petaled lotus. Chakras, in a sense, can be translated as lotus, like a lotus flower. Now, the ultimate goal here, then, in the seventh chakra is transcending duality. Once you've reached the seventh chakra, you begin to transcend duality. So that means that that's the end of the subject-object split. There's no more jiva, no more ishvara, no more soul, no more beloved. All is one, and you have merged in that. So the soul and the Lord have dissolved to reveal that Brahman was that Atman was always Brahman. So the soul and the Lord have dissolved to reveal that Atman was always Brahman. So for there to be an object, there must be a subject of knowledge and a relationship between them. We need to remember that. So when Atman has become Brahman, there's not even a, any relationship anymore. They've dissolved into their own unity, which they always were. The only thing that eclipsed it was the Jiva. So entering into this chakra, we have merged in Brahman. But that is just a name for the divine. We need to keep that in mind. That's a name for the divine source. Brahman is just a name. You know, we can't associate to that like other religions associate to the sort of divine names. So it's, it's basically a name for the divine source of everything and nothing. It is, Brahman is beyond category, beyond duality, and beyond anything you can conceive of. This is what you experience in the seventh chakra. You've gone beyond anything that you can conceive of, what was beyond your imagination, all of your concepts of God have put, been put to the side and you begin to experience unassociated bliss, ananda in Sanskrit. This is what prevails. And a lot of us have seen people that have lived in pure bliss. I've been in India many times and I've been around many sages and sadhus and that and you, you come into contact with this bliss that they have. And it's quite overwhelming because you realize where you are on your own path and journey. So at the seventh chakra, you do see this recognition that you were always one with the ultimate reality as part of it, not even part of it. You are it, but when you're a jiva, you have sort of stepped away from the light. It's kind of if we use the moon analogy, one side of the moon is dark and you're sort of sitting over here on this side of the moon and you haven't realized that the other side is pure light has been lit up by the, by the divine sun. 
This is all that's happening um, when we have not reached the seventh chakra. But we need to remember, like I said earlier, that when we talk about the chakras, even if you are operating from, say, a heavy drive to succeed and you know that you're dwelling in the third chakra, it doesn't mean that you're isolated to that. You can have moments of being in the heart chakra and maybe even in the fifth chakra and the throat chakra, but the, the, the higher two are probably some things that you will probably never experience. A lot of those, the, the sixth and the seventh chakra are usually isolated, those two have dedicated their life to liberation, to self-realization. Think of a Gautama the Buddha, think of a Sri Ramana Maharishi. These sort of individuals have dedicated their life to something much greater than themselves. They have had the recognition that their jiva, in a sense, is temporary and doesn't really exist. Their true nature is Atman, which is identified as identical with Brahman. So if you are compelled to go for the, the sixth and the seventh chakra, then that's up to you. But otherwise, you know, dwelling in the heart chakra and the throat chakra, this, these are great places to be and this will be more beneficial for humanity than being in the destructive lower three chakras. So I hope you learned a lot today about the chakra system and what it is and what it isn't. And I hope that you begin to employ some of these principles that you learned today and begin to operate from the characteristics of the higher chakras. Thank you and I'll see you next time. Hey everybody, thank you for watching this episode of Enlightenment today. If you enjoyed this episode and want to see more, please subscribe to my YouTube channel right here. Also, to watch some of my previous episodes of Enlightenment today, click down here, okay? So thank you for watching and let's continue to learn, grow and love more together.